Chapter 11 Affairs of State Taunus moved softly through the halls of the palace with subtle grace that bellied his large frame. In the months since the death of the warlord, everyone had learned to move more quietly through the marble halls of the palace of Krug. The news of the warlord's death struck the Yodians like a cold wave of seawater. It was sudden, unexpected, and decisive. For most of the Yodians, the warlord had been the only leader they had ever known, and he had seemed immortal. Now he was dead. Cut down by a Falaji blade, said one story. No, said another. His heart was bursted by Falaji magic. No, contended a third. He was boiled alive by the steaming breath of a diabolic machine, a machine controlled by the chief artificer's evil brother. No, the ruler was wearing one of the chief artificer's amulets, and it exploded. The warlord saved the chief artificer from a red-haired demoness summoned by the chief artificer's evil brother. Even when the truth was finally determined and circulated, the other tales survived and grew in telling. One tale, both true and widely popular, was that Urza returned from Corlindo late one evening, piloting his distinctive ornithopter and burying the body of the warlord. It was said he flew without rest from Corlinda. Others noted he did stop briefly, but the flight took him only two days. He laid the body to rest in the palace shrine and sent word to the temples of the news. Then he visited the new queen with the sad tidings. The state funeral was lavish and lasted ten days. People came from the farthest reaches of Yodia to pass before the warlord one last time and pay their final respects. Guards had to be mounted along the funeral byre, not to protect the body, but to help move those who collapsed alongside, fainting from despair. The most notable casualty during the procession was Kayla's matron, who flung herself in tears onto the byre and eventually had to be dispatched to relatives in the country to recover. Queen Kayla and her royal consort, Chief Artificer Urza, appeared only on the last day. Their faces were drawn and tired, and they neither spoke nor smiled during their grim vigil. After the body was interred within its great shrine, the queen retired to her quarters, and the chief artificer went to his ornery. A calm settled over Krug, but it was a false peace as the merchants returned to their stores, the guildsmen to their crafts, and the scholars to their temple classes. The calm only barely hid the anger of the people. The Falaji had killed their beloved warlord, and the desert people would pay. There were incidents. Falaji traders, and in one case a Zigon jeweler, were lynched in the streets. Bands of young adventurers rode into Falaji territory seeking revenge, and when they did not return, additional bands set out to seek revenge for them. In order to prevent any foolhardiness, the army swung its doors wide open to anyone who wished to join. Recruitment tripled in a month. Eventually, the queen appeared in public, but she looked worn by her ordeal. Some noted that the warlord had protected her for too long from the duties of her position, and now she was feeling the strain. Others said she was meeting with the nobles and the guild leaders, assembling her own response to the Falaji. Many, including Tano's, noticed that when she appeared, she appeared alone. The chief artificer, it was whispered, had retreated to his lap to prepare a secret weapon with which to defeat the desert tribesmen. Some said it was a new version of an ornithopter, a more powerful bomb, or a gigantic version of his metal soldier, which had now gained the name of Urza's Avenger for its attempt to seek revenge against the warlord's murderer. When the machine fragments were returned from Corlinda with a returning army, it was interred alongside the warlord like a faithful dog with its master. Rusko had not returned, and Tonos learned that while the clockmaker had survived the attack, he would not be coming back to Krug anytime soon. The captain of the guard had been reassigned to a patrol unit to the west along the Falaji frontier and replaced in his duties within the palace. Over the course of the month, every pilot who had gone to Corlinda was transferred as well, also to units along the frontier with the desert tribesmen. The seneschal remained, but seemed to be on a short leash, with Queen Kayla holding the other end. Every other official, courtier, and servant in the palace was made suddenly aware that if the new queen noticed something she did not care for, that something was removed. 
everyone moved around the palace on tiptoe and spoke in whispers. The Falaji were, for their part, surprisingly quiet. They launched a brief raid into the sore marches, which provoked a counter-raid deep into the desert before it ran out of both supplies and enemies. Soon after the order came down, signed by both the queen and the chief artificer, every inch of Yodian ground would be held, but no one would raid Falaji territories without explicit orders. Many took this as a sign that the queen's consort was working on something very deadly and decisive for the Falaji. Of all the people in the city of Krug, only Thanos knew what the chief artificer had been doing for the month following the warlord's death. Urza had stayed in the ornery night and day. He had dismissed the students for the moment, sending them to mourn the warlord, and never calling them back. He allowed Taunus to remain though, and his chief apprentice worked hard, keeping the machines oiled and the canvas supple. Mostly, however, Taunus stayed out of Urza's way. Once or twice a day, Urza would emerge from his lair to meet with the newest captain of the guard or to send a terse message to some bureaucrat or other. Then he retreated again to his lair, and in his study, he stared at the piece of blank paper mounted on his drawing board. He stared at it for hours. At first, Thanos wondered what marvels Urza was dreaming up, but after the fifth day, the young toymaker became convinced that his master was simply overwhelmed by the responsibility that awaited him outside the ornery. Thanos had ventured his opinion on the current situation of Urza just once. He had heard others note that the chief artificer would not strike against the Falaji because the desert tribesmen were led by his evil brother whom Urza had not seen since they were both children. Some argue that Urza hesitated because he wanted to kill his brother himself. Others argue that he was afraid of the brother and did not want to fight. Thanos cut away the implications of cowardice and put the question to his master. Why had he not struck back? Urza almost exploded. War is a waste of resources, he shouted. We lost four ornithopters in that fruitless assault, and I cannot replace them until I get more power stones. Why should I waste time, gold, and precious lives in battle? To chase ghosts in the desert? Why don't I just burn down the city and save my brother the bother? The outburst was as surprising as it was sudden. Afterwards, Thanos moved quietly in the ornery as well. Messages arrived, and Thanos received them at the door. To those sent by the captain of the guard, Urza responded in a short note delivered by Thanos. Sometimes, the message was from some merchant or craftsman. Half the time, the artificer would respond. Other times, he crumpled the letter and tossed it away. Some messages were marked with the signet ring of the queen. These Urza left unopened by his drafting table. A flurry of them appeared for a while, and then they gradually tapered off. Finally, such a note arrived for Thanos, demanding his presence in the queen's quarters that evening. A meeting at midnight, the missive said, and no one, not even Urza, should be told. Thanos moved quietly through the corridors. There were no guards in the private wing of the building, and had not been since the warlord's funeral. It was late, and even the servants had abandoned their continual fussing and retired for the evening. He reached the doors to the royal household. In the distance, he heard the temple bell sounding the midnight hour. He knocked softly. For a moment, there was nothing, and Thanos feared that his rapping had not been heard. Then a weak voice said, Enter. Thanos pushed the door open gently. Your Majesty? Queen Kayla was seated by the window, looking out at the city of Krug spread below. She was dressed in a sheer gown covered by a crimson robe. She held a large brandy snifter in her hand, and even from across the room, Thanos could see it was filled higher than it should have been. The queen said nothing, and Thanos entered, closing the door behind him. Your majesty, he repeated. Kayla sighed deeply. No, she said. Don't call me that. I have been your majesty to tears today, today and every other day. She took a sip of the brandy. Call me Kayla. Can you do that, Thanos toymaker? Thanos opened his mouth and tried to form his lips around the words, but they refused to cooperate. Finally, 
He said, I'm afraid I can't, ma'am. Kayla snorted, a pretty ladylike sound. Ma'am will have to do then, at least for the moment. She spun in place on the window seat and set her slippered feet to the floor. Would you like something to eat? I had the kitchen send up some chilled meat and cheeses. She waved an arm at a nearby table. It had been set with fine crystal and silverware and a pair of elegantly twisted candles. Porcelain plates as translucent as the wings of an ornithopter were laden with food. There were meats, both chopped and shaved, cheeses, fruits, and several picked items that Tonos could not immediately identify. If you wish, your ma'am, said Tonos, moving towards the tables. Kayla crossed paths them and route to her own seat. As she passed, she stumbled, spilling a bit of her drink and brushing against the apprentice. Sorry, she murmured, holding a hand out against his chest to steady herself. Not to worry, replied Tonos. He inhaled a heady lungful of her perfume mixed with the fumes of brandy. If forced to guess, he would say that the brandy was older than the warlord had been. Tonos tried to recall the last time the queen drank more than a single glass of wine with dinner. He came up empty, but surmised that Kayla had already refilled her goblet at least once before he had arrived. Carefully, Tonos sat down, unsure what to do next. He thought of himself as a simple coastal boy, lacking the sophistication of high Yodian society, but he was fairly certain of how the evening was shaping up. Kayla stabbed a morsel of cheese with her knife and waved the cheddar-tipped utensil at the apprentice. So, she said, How is he? He who, ma'am, parried Tonos, looking over the pickled things, trying to determine what exactly they had been in life. His answer amused Kayla. He who? He asked. He who is my loving and dedicated husband. That is who. He who you see more regularly than I these days. She bit off the last words neatly and leaned back, evidently pleased she'd managed to say them without tangling her tongue. Tonos grasped at words. He, he is well, your majesty. Kayla, said the queen. Kay, Kayla, ma'am. Tonos blushed as he said it. I write to him, but he does not respond. She sighed, popping the bit of cheese in her mouth and looking for another target. I know, said Tonos, but he has been busy with patrols and things. His designs. Ah, yes. The queen raised her hands toward the ceiling. Ur's is wonderful to dines. How I envy him. He can lock himself up in his room and not talk to anyone, least of all his wife, because he is always working on his wonderful designs. Tono suddenly realized he had answered her original question wrong from the start, but how was he to know that she wanted to hear Master Urza was miserable? The queen seemed deeply interested in her brainy glass. Then she suddenly looked up. I didn't expect much from the marriage, you know. I hoped for someone to talk to, or at least someone to listen, an heir or two to make Daddy happy. And now, no heirs, no daddy, and not even a husband anymore. She looked over at Tonos. So, are you? Tonos blinked. His head was swimming from the perfume. Am I what? Are you someone I could talk to? Asked the queen. Because I've had it with people who I could talk at, who make all the right noises, but don't engage in conversation at all. She was motioning with both arms now, the ancient branding sopping over the sides of the glass. I can talk at the seneschal. And I could talk at the matron, or I could when she was here, but there's no one I can talk to. I mean, I thought I could talk to Urza, she added softly. Not often. If there was daylight, he worked on his plans, his wondrous devices, but often enough. And I always liked listening to him, even if I didn't understand what he was talking about. And now? Now? She let her voice trail off. When Tonos had been a very young man, he worked on his uncle's fishing rig, 
One morning, when he was not paying sufficient attention, the boat had been breached by a large wave, and he had been knocked overboard. The young Tano's panicked, floundered, and found himself struggling underwater. He was saved by his uncle, who pulled him around and suggested gently that the young man find another line of work. At this moment, Tano's felt much the same way, though no helpful uncle in sight. I am so jealous of you, you know, Kayla said, her eyes becoming hooded slits as she charred off on a new tack. I mean, he spends all of his time with you, and when he talks about lift, and drag, and pulley ratios, and snail gears, you honestly understand what he's talking about. I'm not dumb, but on my best day, I couldn't venture a guess about ideal pulley ratios. Tana started to speak. Everybody has their own strengths and weak. Am I so horrible? She demanded, leaning across the table and grabbing his hand. Am I so repulsive? As she leaned forward, her rope fell open, the gown beneath almost transparent in the candlelight. Tano's closed his eyes tightly. No, he said. You're not horrible at all. Then why won't he come home? She said, drawing back. Her hand still clutched him, and her voice was filled with unwept tears. He sleeps at his work. You know that. That's what I need to know. Why won't he come back to me? Carefully, Tano's pried the queen's figures from around his wrist. As he spoke, he was aware that Kayla was listening for the first time that evening. I think, he said calmly, he's in pain himself. Him? said Kayla, leaning back. The great thinking machine? The paragon of logic? The chief artifact of Krug? All that, replied Tano's. And the man who stood next to your father when he was killed. The man who could not save him from dying. Have you talked to him about what happened at Corlinda? I mean, really talked. Kayla looked at him and blinked. I'll take that as a no then, said Tanos. But he didn't know what Daddy was planning, she said. I didn't realize it myself. Right, answered Tanos. But that doesn't make it any easier. Urza came back. And everyone treated him like a hero, because he survived, and your father didn't, and he has to come back to you, he motioned with his hands. So he doesn't come back, finished Kayla softly. The fuzziness of alcohol seemed banished for the moment. He's punishing himself because he thinks I blame him, or I should blame him, even if I don't, which I don't. Uh-huh, grunted Tanos. Should I march down to his workshop and we should talk about this? She asked. Tanos held up both hands remembering his own experience at being direct. Perhaps it would be better to start with something else, something not directly connected with the past few months. Do you two have any happy moments together? Wait, said Kayla, and Tano thought of an overworked engine, leaking steam and straining to function. Yes, yes I do. Start with that, said Tanos. Yes, yes, I know what will work. She crossed over to the writing desk and penned a short note then handed it to Tanos. Here, give this to Urza. Make sure he reads it. Tell him it's urgent. Of course, said Tanos, rising from his chair. He'll still be awake at this hour. And Tanos, she said. The apprentice turned, and Kayla leaned forward, pressing her lips against his cheek. Thank you. Tanos blushed, the blood on his face clear even in the candlelight. It is my pleasure. The kingdom can't take much more of everyone walking on eggshells around you, too. Not that, she said. That was for being a better person than I might be. Tonos made sure Urza read the message, and 15 minutes later, the chief artificer poked his head in his own living quarters. My queen, he said. Kayla? 
Queen Caleb and Krug was seated at a table set with fine crystal and laden with meats and cheeses. Ah, my chief artificer, thank you for coming on such short notice. Your note said that there was an emergency, said Urza, his eyes adjusting to the candlelight. A technical emergency? Yes, responded the queen. I have a small music box, an heirloom. I think it's broken. She motioned to the place setting opposite her. On the plate was a small silver box. Carefully, Urza opened the box, then turned it over slowly in his hands. I think that all is wrong with it is that the spring had wound down again, he said at last. Kayla opened her eyes wide. Wound down? Urza nodded and cleared his throat. Yes, I will need a key for it. A key, she said, and opened her robe. The sheer gown she wore was almost translucent in the candlelight. Around her neck, she wore a pink ribbon, and hanging from that ribbon was a battered metal key, red with rust along one edge. Would this one do, Lord Artificer? Urza looked at the key and at the music box. He stared long and deep into the queen's eyes. Yes, he said at last. I think that will do indeed. And for the first time in a month, Urza smiled. The chief artificer did not come to the ornery the next day, nor the day after. On the third day, Taunus arrived to find a sheaf of parchment marked with detailed instructions. Starting with recalling the students and quickly moving on to a list of improvements to ornithopter design and plans for building new Avenger-style mechanical men. There was no sign of Urza, and a marginal note to Taunus indicated that he should not be expected until mid-afternoon, if then. Taunus allowed himself a healthy grin and quickly began to fulfill Master Urza's list of demands.